Please open your Bibles to the book of James and uh, join me in a, in a brief prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for your love, for the blessing and the opportunity to worship. I pray, Lord, now as I uh, dive into the message portion of our service that you will guide my heart and guide my tongue and that the Holy Spirit will uh, do things that I can't even dream of doing. And I just hand it back over to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, the book of James, the book of James was written by a man named James, believe it or not. How simple is that? He was James, the older, uh, the oldest half-brother of Jesus. So, so that means that James was uh, that James had the same parents as Jesus. He had Mary and Joseph as his biological parents, but Jesus was his half-brother because, remember, Joseph raised Jesus, but Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father because, uh, you know, the whole virgin birth, the whole immaculate conception thing, Holy Spirit put the baby in Mary. So um, James uh, had both parents, but Jesus was born first without, Jesus, without Joseph as his earthly father. Um, just to kind of set that context for you of who James is, just to introduce you once again uh, to who James is, um, we have evidence in the New Testament that James, uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he really thought he was crazy at one point, didn't believe, didn't buy into who Jesus said he was as God. And at one point, along with his family, his, his half-brothers and sisters, he showed up at a house and, and said, hey, Jesus, you need to quit with these magic tricks. You're making us look bad. We're not, we're not prominent here. You're pretending to be something that we're not quite sure that you are. So he thought he wasn't God, at least at one point. But then... Right after Jesus died and rose from the dead, something changed. All of a sudden, James decided and he realized and he believed in his heart and his mind and his life and his actions that Jesus, his half-brother, was God in the flesh. So he worships him. He becomes a leader in establishing the first church, the first Christian church in Jerusalem. And he's ultimately martyred for believing that his half-brother is God, is the Messiah. And he, he goes to his death. He is dragged by a mob to the top of the temple, and he is thrown off, and he doesn't die. But while he continues to preach and continues to pray for those who are attacking him, one man picks up a stick and bashes in his skull and kills him. But... He continued right up till that moment preaching, my half-brother is God. My half-brother is who he says that he is. Now, I can't think of any better attention grabber than that to tell you as we begin this message that the same guy, the guy that wrote this letter, he went from playing kickball in the backyard with Jesus to eating Cheerios at the dinner table with Jesus to, to dragging him, wanting to drag him out of a house and say, listen, you're not who you say you are. You're messing this up for us to the point where he eventually gave his life the most of anything that he could have his entire life he died defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Wow. That's testimony, right? That's, that's, that's a testimony of change. And, and I contend with you as we stand here today that the testimony of James, that alone is reason enough to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That alone sells the Christian faith to me. And that's the James who wrote this letter. That's the James. So here's what I want to do in week two. We are uh, diving into James 1, 2 through 18. It's quite a bit of ground, but I'm going to try to try to wrap it around and make it look good, make it make sense, and take kind of the, the bulk idea Uh, But I'm not going to read the entire passage right up front because we're going to read it as we go. So I ask you just kind of have your Bibles open. We'll put things on the screen. You can just kind of camp out uh, right there uh, for now. But but to start, here's what I want to give you. If if I would take verses 2 through 18 and condense it, instead of reading it all to you right now, if I would condense it to say, what does this mean Here's, here's the singular sentence uh, that, that we can talk about. And here's what it is. When trials come, consider it pure joy because God is good. And that's on the back of your bulletin. You can just fill in the blanks uh, if you're taking notes. But that's the one sentence summary that, that I want to talk about today as, our, as a benefit to, to our community of faith, as a benefit to you in your walk with Christ. So when we face trials, we're told by James right up front to persevere, to to, to consider an opportunity for great joy. And and we need to believe that God is good and that God gives us perfect gifts. So, So what we're looking at is that God wants to give us joy. And as we face trials, we want to be joyful. But all along the way, there are going to be things and challenges and trials that come up that are going to mislead us. They're going to, going to, de- they're going to deceive us with, with things like doubts creeping into our lives and into our minds. And, and, and then we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. And, and then we follow down this path of, of, of listening to our evil desires, of the things that we want to do, the sins that are attractive to us. And I wrap all that around into this one sentence. But before we dive in, I do want to make a quick, just a quick caveat. Uh, I do realize that in, in this room, that, there, that some of you, uh, just so we can kind of throw this out there and then we can uh, talk openly, uh, but I want you to know where, where I'm at. And, and, and I realize that, that, that there are people here uh, that are in a trial right now. I know some of you are going through that. I know some of you are, are, are thinking, man, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm limping along. I'm barely holding on to my faith. And I, and I came to church to find some encouragement. And what I hear is trials are coming. Smile. You're going to be okay. Just keep smiling. God's good. I, I know some of you are, are thinking that, but, but I just ask, stay with me. Stay with me. Stay joyful. God is good. And, and then I also know that there's other you uh, that are here that, you know, you're not having a bad day. You're not having a trial. You're not facing anything. Everything feels really perfect right now. You know, I heard a statistic one time that, that in any, any 10-year period of somebody's life, um, that that family will be hit by some major tragedy uh, within any 10-year period, that something will happen. 
So, so you're sitting here and you're feeling good and life is awesome. And I'm not trying to be gloom and doom, but, but you might be sitting here and you're like, okay, I'm in year nine and, and I'm sitting in my lazy boy and my palms are sweaty and I'm holding on to the edge of my lazy boy and my remote control. And I'm like, okay, I got to get ready because, because something's going to happen. I know it's not going to be perfect all the time. So I got to get ready. So I'm asking you, if you're in that position, if life is awesome right now, trials will come. But stay with me because life, because God is good and he offers joy through the trial. So whether you're in it or you're waiting for it, you got to get ready, prepare. It's coming. I'm with you. I know what that looks like. So one of the things I love about the Bible is that it gives it to me straight. It's one of the things I really love about the book of James. He's just hard hitting. He's like, here it is, deal with it, okay? It's kind of grimy, right? Like it's just, it's real gritty. It's just here it is. There's no picture of heaven being offered in this life in the Bible. Heaven is there. Heaven is what we're waiting for. It's what we're hoping for. The joy of utopia, the joy of bliss to all who believe. But in the here and now, it's never presented as an option on earth. We lost that in the Garden of Eden. So if you want your Bible to, to say that life can be perfect all the time, that you're never going to have a bad day, that you're never going to have a challenge, you're going to have to get your Bible out and you're just going to have to grab scissors and tape and start cutting and pasting like crazy to make it say what you want. I mean, if you're doing it on your computer, it's like control X, control X, control X, just constantly. Okay. See, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible offers us real life. The Bible shows us that 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, life was still hard. Challenges still came. People faced it with faith and they overcame. But, but we see that people still get sick. People die. People get betrayed. See, see, it's always happening. People get wrongly accused. People lose heart. People get tired. But by the grace of God, they endure and they're strengthened. By but by, by God's grace, they hold on to the joy and they're able to transcend those horrible circumstances. We're able to get past it. God offers that to us. So the Bible tells it to us like it is. And if you read through the book of James, you saw that this week. That, the, that, that, that James just says, here it is. This is the truth. And this is what you gotta do. This is what God expects of you. So James 1, 2 I want to be real about the paradox that this is right out of the gates. That, so, so, so basically, James just introduces himself. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And then, and then right out of the gates, he brings it up. Next sentence, he wants us to know that trouble is coming. It's going to sting. Have some joy. So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When trials come, not if trials come, not, hey, they might come. It's, the Bible just says, hey, trials are going to come and choose to be joyful through that. It's like when we talked about in our series, Teach Us to Pray, we've got to trust that what God's giving us is ultimately good. That, that what we need from God that he gives us is good. So, so various kinds of trials. What kind of trials? What's coming? 
Various trials. <laughs> Can't narrow that down. All kinds of trials. Any trial that you can think of, any sickness, any tough marriage, any wild kids, anything that happens, it fits into that category. It's every kind of trial you can think of. There's no wiggle room. It's, if you're in a trial, it fits into various. You can't say, well, James isn't talking about this one. No, no, it's, it's various. He's got it covered. Like if, if you're having a struggle, if you're having a trial, if you've got a challenge, if you're having some doubts, it fits. It's various. Every kind of trial that you face, it doesn't matter how simple it is, how hard it is. It doesn't matter what color it is. It fits in the various trials category. So James just says, hey, choose joy. Consider it a joy that God is trusting you with a trial. Consider it joy. Praise him through it. You know, my sister, my sister Jill, who actually, she's actually probably going to be here sometime next weekend to visit us. Uh, she lives in Ohio, and she has this company called Niji Wear. Niji Wear. She makes purses and little bags, and, um, and she also makes covers for journaling Bibles. And one of the things that she does all the time, uh, you'll see if you follow her on, on the internet, you'll see she she makes these nice drawings. So she takes these journaling Bibles and she, she highlights verses and she writes them real big across it in this ink that you can see through. And then she puts choose joy on a lot of stuff. And, and, and you see that from her all the time, she's like, hey, I'm gonna choose joy today. Hey, this is what my life looks like today, but, but I, I'm gonna choose joy through this. If you're here next week, I would love for you to meet her. She's a great, great woman. Um, but there's nothing easy about choosing joy. There's nothing easy about it. When you look at the full spectrum of bad days, it's not going to be easy. James doesn't say it's easy. He just says do it. Now, if you're walking down the street and you, you stub your toe, okay, that stings, that hurts, that's sad. But I, I choose joy. Or, or maybe you walk into work on Monday and it's bigger than that. You walk in and, and your, your boss demotes you and he takes your company car and he, he gives your job by promoting your bitter rival. Ugh, right? Come on. You grit your teeth and you're like, okay, God said to choose joy. There's something here for me. I can do this. Let's be real honest. It ain't happening without an intentional choice. You're like, oh, I got fired today. This is awesome. No, it doesn't work like that. We've got to choose it. Consider it joyful. Now, as a Christian... We need to prepare for this. You ever think about that? James has said, when trials come. Consider it joy when trials come. And we got to prepare for that because we, we have the blessing of knowing in advance that trials are going to come. So if you're having a great day, praise God. But the next day might not be so great, right? Like, in reality, I might have a bad day. So in the good days, I should prepare for that so that it doesn't just show up and like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm not ready. I don't have a backbone. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to talk to God. Um, if you didn't know, uh, this is Super Bowl weekend. So tomorrow we've got the Patriots taking on the Falcons. That's Atlanta and, and New England, if you're not a, a, a fan of the NFL. Um, and I imagine now, now, this probably stings a little bit if you're a Steeler fan, which I hope everybody here, there's a 
there is a rule that you have to be to come to our church. So trusting that you are all Steeler fans, um, this would be a little bit of a dream world, but join me in this. Imagine if tomorrow, whenever the game starts, the Patriots run out onto the field at game time and we find out that they didn't make a game plan, okay? They have no idea. They didn't prepare at all, nothing, nothing at all. See, the Falcons kick off to them and the, and the Patriots coach, Bill Belichick, he goes, oh no, what do we do? Is that a football? Should we tackle him? What, what, why, why are they hiking the ball? What do we do? What, what's this supposed to look like? I would, I would love that. Do we let them score? Did anybody bring a helmet? What, what are we going to do now that they're running towards us? I mean, that would be great for me as a Steeler fan. A complete mess. Amen. 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 Pray for that. But the truth is that the Patriots and Bill Belichick, right, we, we, they've been good long enough that we know that, that they're masters at spending their week preparing for what's coming and analyzing the other team and building a game plan. And they're going to know most of the time exactly what the Falcons are going to do when they line up based on the scenario and where all their players are. Because when the NFL says you're going to play a football game, you get ready for that football game because you know when it's going to come. And, and, and if you're the coach, you prepare for that battle. Because they have the advantage of knowing as of two weeks ago that at six o'clock something on February 5th, there's going to be a game and they got to be ready for it. And so they're going to get ready for it as best they can for that battle. That's an advantage that we don't have as Christians. We know it's going to happen. We know there will be a battle. We know there's going to be a fight. We know there will be a trial, but we don't know when. So we got to get ready and prepare because when that bomb hits, I want to be ready to choose joy. I want to be ready to choose joy. So with that said, we know trials are coming, so let's get ready and let's prepare before they happen. So here's, here's how we view trials as followers of Christ. The Christian views trials as a pathway to maturity. These are the things that James is teaching us in this passage. If we take this conversation of spiritual maturity and we take it out of the spiritual world, it makes total sense against your, your physical life experience. It makes total sense. How have you matured in your life? How have you grown into to who you are? Hasn't it been a long journey of, of failing and stumbling and, and friction and, and then persistence, hard work at school, hard work at work, falling down, getting back up, scraping your knee? We learn by not thinking that we're always right, not thinking that everything's perfect, but we learn by realizing that, that we're wrong and realizing that we need to get better and, and we grow up physically and we grow up intellectually. Uh, I, I got a 15-month-old son, Elam. Uh, most of you guys have met him. He's getting really good at walking and is really fun to watch. And he's kind of starting to get a little bit of that trot where pretty soon he'll be running around the house. But, but he's fun. I like to, I, I, I'd give him baths and I'd dry him off so that he's not cold. And then I let him run through the house naked. It's a blast. I, <laughs> then I follow him around with the camera and send pictures to mom. Uh, shouldn't probably do that. 
But uh, I'm not recommending that. I'm just admitting my faults. But as he's been learning to walk, uh, he's got, we found that he's kind of got this short temper and, and he gets frustrated easy. I don't know if that's going to stick. I don't know where he gets it. But he gets frustrated pretty easy. And it's the cutest thing uh, when he goes walking down the hallway if he falls down. Like if he doesn't even have to trip anything. If he just kind of loses his balance and goes down, he'll stop on the floor for us and go, <laughs> He just grunts real loud because he's so frustrated that he couldn't do it. But he gets back up and he keeps going, falls down again, grunts again. And you'll see him after church. He's doing great. He's growing, but he's working on it. And he's physically, every time he does it, he gets a little better, gets a little stronger. Every time it's hard, he gets a little more mature. Maturing spiritually, it's not any different. I wish I could tell you that it was. I wish I could tell you that, that you get saved and then God sprinkles pixie dust, pixie dust on you and all of a sudden you're this seasoned Christian and I'm just so solid in my faith and nobody can rock me. But, but it doesn't work like that. Instead, we, we face trials and, and resistance makes us stronger. And we need that because otherwise there's just going to be a bunch of a bunch of full-grown Christians that have been saved for 60 years, but they're still just drinking spiritual milk, and it's like, yeah, everybody's happy, you know? We need that resistance to grow in depth in our faith. So that's why when the trial comes, James says, take it on with joy, because this is the path to maturity. God is going to grow you. You want to be something better next year on this day than you are today? the path to maturity. It's okay to be where you are spiritually, but it's not okay to stay there. You got to go down this path. You got you to walk it by choice and by circumstance. Choose joy. James gives us another way to look at this. Trials make us aware of our need for God. So let me offer you this. I don't know about you, but me. When everything is going great in your life, everything's perfect, everybody's happy, everything is what you want, mom and dad are happy, the pets, the, the pets are fed, the kids are in bed early, nobody's crying, nobody's bleeding, life is awesome. You don't have your mind and heart set on God, do you? You don't say, oh, I did so good today, thank you God, I'm blessed to need you in my life. Now, when things are wonderful, when life is good, when we, then we say, okay, I'm doing really well. It's you. We think everything is pretty. It's me. Look what I did. Look how great I am. But as soon as that changes, as soon as everything is in flames and all the kids are screaming and nobody wants to go to sleep and the, and the pets are in the neighbor's yard biting their children, as soon as that all happens, everything's kind of going haywire the world's coming unscrewed, and you look at God and say, it's your fault. This isn't fair. So when it's good, it's, I did it. When it's not so good, God, why did you let me face this? Come on, man. Trials make us aware of our need for God. Am I on target with that? 
Nobody wants to admit it, right? Am I on target with that? When everything's great, I don't need God. I got this. But when everything goes bad, I can't believe you did this to me, God. That's not fair. That's not the Christianity that I signed up for. But we operate like that a lot. We find ourselves doing that much of the time. But James says that when the trial comes and we don't understand why, ask for wisdom, lean into God, help me understand it. I don't get it, God, I don't understand. And he'll respond with what you need because he's aware of what you need in that situation. So do that daily and say, Lord, I need you. So here we are, believers in Christ, making a blanket assumption. I, I, I don't know that you all are, but if a believer in Christ, you're enduring a trial, God's maturing you. God's growing you. He's shaping you. He's chiseling you more and more into who you are as the image of Christ. You pray more. You cling to him. You get what you need. And then comes the battle. So that's where we're starting from. So we mature in the trial, and, and our trials make us more aware of how much we need God, and then comes the battle. So look at that kind of as a foundation, and then I want to look at three battles that, that James shows us. So we prepared when we step into that stadium that we have a game plan, because I don't, I don't want you, and one of my things with this, with this whole I'm a pastor of a church thing, which is still, this is like beginning of year, what, two, three for me, it's still new. But one of my dreams is that I don't want you guys just to live on what I give you here and the music that we sing and the worship. I want you to dig into scripture. I want you to grow. I want to fill this place up and send people out with depth and deep faith and strong convictions to live for God. If you want a watered down message in a watered down church, you're, you're in the wrong place or, or you send me away. Whatever it is that you need, I'm not going to be your guy. That's not what I want. So my challenge for you is to grow. And, 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 and Christians, what we see here with, in James is they commonly struggle. The three that he brings us out is doubts, comparisons, and our own evil desires. Our own desires. So first, I want to talk about doubt. James 1, 6 through 8, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is not an uncommon struggle in our pursuit of maturity as Christians. Now, let's be honest, though. Just like I said, the first scripture was a paradox. Let's be honest about this one. That's confusing. A lot of things in this book and in the Bible, you read it and, and, and at face value, it's confusing. Because one verse back, we see that, that, that if you're doubting or if you're struggling, if you lack wisdom, ask in faith. But now, don't doubt when you ask or I'm not going to give you anything. So you're not allowed to have any doubts. Ask me, but don't doubt. Because if you doubt while praying, don't expect anything from me. That's kind of confusing. So, so what do we do with that? Here's what I offer you. Here's, here's what kind of comes, comes to mind for me. Um, the best way that I can come up with today to, to, to explain this. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, there's a story of Jesus healing a demon-possessed boy. And this is one of my favorite reactions to Jesus in all of the Gospels. 
When, Jesus, when asking Jesus to heal the boy, the boy's father said the phrase, he said, if you can do anything, have compassion on him. And Jesus quickly turned face and said, if I can, if I can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Imagine in your face from Jesus, right? I'm a step back. And the father his reaction is just as sweet. He says, immediately he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me. If there's anything in me that doesn't believe enough for you to answer my prayer, help me. Give it to me. So I love how raw that is. I love how just up front, God, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me faith. Give me joy. And if I need more faith, please give it to me because I want you to answer my prayers. If I doubt too much, take it away and give me more faith. That's raw and that's honest. And, 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 and God appreciates that. God doesn't want you to sugarcoat it. He already knows. Just tell him like it is. Here's what I want. Help me. But there's this temptation in us to live this double-minded life in our hearts that we sort of believe in God. We sort of rely on God but we sort of rely on ourselves too. Ask for faith so that when you pray, yeah, you're gonna pray and then get to work. Pray like, pray like God can do it, but work like it's all up to you. But believe when you pray, God, give me the faith I need to believe that you're gonna move this mountain for me. And when you doubt, remember, consider it pure joy that God's gonna give you through that, that God is good and, and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I praise you. I thank you for trusting me with this. Get me through this. The second battle that James shows us is verses 9 through 11. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So the poor should boast in honor and of their position. And the rich should boast in the humility of their position. But no worries. Everybody passes away. It's an even level playing field. So translation for us today we got to stop comparing ourselves to other people because it's a level playing field. We're all doomed without God. We're all doomed. We're all fading away. We're all amissed. We have this bad habit of comparing ourselves with everybody else, and it's unhealthy. I do it all the time. It's terrible. Uh, if you're a Facebook user, there's great irony in Facebook, I think. They call it a social network. But... Since Facebook came, it's just been a constant, less social, less social, less social, and it brings all kinds of negatives. The secular world tells us that it's going to bring depression, it's going to bring jealousy, it's, it's going to bring low self-esteem. So what happens, I like Facebook, I use Facebook, but what happens is we have a bad day, and, and you're feeling down. You're feeling bad about yourself and your life and your situation. You can't do anything right. You can't do it smart enough. So you sit down and you start thumbing through your Facebook, right? And what you see is a highlight of all the good things in everybody else's life. 
You find out that your friends went to the mall without you. You find, find out that so-and-so is more successful than you, that their kids are better looking. And it's just not fair, you know? So, so we, we look at all these things, and you're like, man, what am I doing wrong? I don't got this. That's not fair. And, and, and Satan deceives us by showing us other people's lives and, and, and then causing us to compare it with other people. He's creating this jealousy in us. But that's a trial to overcome, to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose joy because I believe that I'm a child of the king, right? And the third thing real quick, and I know I'm late. I know I'm late. Um, the third battle that James wants, James wants us to prepare for is the temptation of our own desires. It says, 12 to 15, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So God's not tempting us, but he may be testing us. He may be allowing us to face trials for the sake of maturity, but he can't tempt us. It's not in his DNA. He doesn't have that any evil in him. But when I read this, this knocks me on the head. This knocks me on the head and shows me that the problem is my heart. The problem of my desire to go towards sin is, is inside of me and that's causing the battle. That's what he's telling us. It's, don't blame God for you wanting to go down this path of sin. It's inside of you. It's who you are. So the evil in me is misleading me. It's deceiving me from the joy that I should find in Christ. And if I give in to the temptation, instead of resisting it with joy, it'll turn into sin and it'll turn into death. That's the path. The choices that we make, the way that our lives look, the, 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 the path that, that we go down is, is, is God Oh, what, what choices are we making? So, so just, the other, just the other night, I, I went home from a, a day of church work, and, and uh, I, I had a nice window. Elam was sleeping. Kinsley was doing laundry. And I was like, okay, I can go, and I can do something positive. Like, I could, I could put on my winter running clothes and go for a run, which I've slacked at. Uh, you can probably tell, right? But I... Instead, I went into the kitchen and I made French fries and I got cookies and I, and I got some shells and, and I made this like trifecta of carbohydrates. I heated it all up and I sat down and dipped it all in ketchup and it was awesome. And, and my wife walks out and, and, and she's like, hey, you, you, you know, knowing how fast I have fallen off the health wagon, she reminds me that the only one putting food in my mouth is me. I'm the one doing it. I'm the one making those decisions. I, I needed to hear that. So I had good intentions, but my desires, no one else's desires, caused me to go down this path. They lured me to those French fries, and I devoured them so quickly. It was awesome. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I took that pile out quick. But sin is enticing. 
And, and, and you, may, you may never have heard a, a preacher stand up and say this before, but, but sin is enticing because, because we like it, because we want it, because we desire for it. And if it, if it wasn't enticing, we wouldn't even be in this whole sin mess in the first place. Eve never would have ate that apple and handed it to her husband. It, it wouldn't have happened. So let's not blame God. The temptation isn't in him, it's in us, it's in you, it's in me, and my desire is for sin. And James is telling us that when we're tempted to sin, instead of giving in, choose joy. Praise God that you are tempted and you can overcome because that is the path to maturity. And after telling us all of this, James closes with this. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So God's not tempting you. But when he allows trials, it's for your growth, it's for your testimony, and it's for his glory. Remember, the writer of this letter James was killed for, for preaching the gospel. He was killed for his faith. So if you've ever wondered why after being saved, life is still hard, if you've ever wondered why there's still pain, why do people still get sick and why do people die, if you ever say, this isn't the way it should work, I should get saved and then step into that utopia, I should get saved and then just appear in heaven, You've misunderstood what the Christian life looks like. James was a Christian. His life ended in death. It ended in martyrdom. Life is still going to be hard, but you know that you have a father who wants to walk with you in the trial, that wants to give you joy in the trial. And you've got a father that wants you, who offers you joy, and he prioritizes you above all the other creatures. You're number one. You're his first fruits. You're the one that he made and said that he made you in his image. He loves you. He's about you. And he wants to give you good and perfect gifts. And that, he doesn't change. So that doesn't change. His promises will stay the same. He chose to save the human race. So I challenge you, when trials come, consider it pure joy because God is good. Overcome those doubts, overcome the comparison, overcome the evil desires that are born inside of you and say, I choose joy today. So my prayer is that you have a joyful, awesome week. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for this message from James. I praise you for the truth that we can choose joy when we struggle. We can choose joy when we doubt. We can choose joy whenever Satan attacks us. And Lord, I pray that, that anyone here that's in the midst of a trial will turn around right now and just say, trial, step back. I choose joy and I choose to put my eyes on God and give them that, Lord. Bless them that, Lord. Give them the faith. And I pray that anybody here that is not facing a trial today while it's scary and we don't want it and we don't ask for it, we want to grow up. So, Lord, I pray that whenever the trial comes, they're prepared. They already have what they need because you knew that it would come. And you knew, 
you knew what it would look like and you knew what that various trial would be and you want them to call on your name and give them joy because you're not looking for a bunch of little kids in their 80s and 90s coming into heaven. You're looking for grown-up, solid, strong towers in the faith. And we want that, Lord. I praise you for that. And I pray that this church will always and forever be a place that doesn't look all watered down and we're just happy-go-lucky. Let's not go deep. Let's stay superficial. I pray that this is a place where people will say, okay, here's where I'm at. Here's where I struggle. I want to grow. So how do I lean into God and grow up in my faith? We hand it all back to you, Lord, and we praise you. Thank you for grace whenever I preach too long. In Jesus' name, amen.